You are Locked On Cubs, your daily Chicago Cubs podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up, Cubs fans, and welcome to Locked On Cubs. I'm your host, Joe Kilgallen. You can follow me on Twitter. That's simply at Joe Kilgallen. Give this podcast a follow as well. That is at Locked On Cubs. All right, we are like less than 24 hours away from the trade deadline now at this point. The trade deadline is Friday the 30th at 3 p.m. I don't know if it's Eastern or Central time or whatever, but it's about the afternoon. And uh, we'll know for sure. We'll know the fates of several Cubs players. It's getting intense. I was at the Cubs game last night. I will, of course, recap that, my experience sitting in the bleachers for the first time in probably about a decade, I feel like. Yeah, so we'll talk about that recap the game that was the Cubs got their butts kicked by the Cincinnati Reds by a score of eight to two. It felt like a shutout because the two runs were scored way at the end. It just felt a little bit like, oh yeah, great. We score. We didn't get shut out. Yay. Clapping. Okay. You know, real quiet at the end of that game. And we'll talk about more of the speculation with this trade deadline and some of my favorite moments in Cubs trade deadline history. That should be fun, huh? The suspense, it's the suspense that's killing us, right? But Lockdown Sports is all the trade deadline information for you. The MLB trade deadline is approaching, and Lockdown MLB YouTube channel will be streaming the hot stove live. That's right, two hours of MLB trade analysis from our Lockdown lineup of local experts. So subscribe to Lockdown MLB on YouTube and tune in July 30th, beginning at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You'll probably see me popping on talking about who knows. Who knows? Really? So I want to start off by by giving Jed Hoyer some kudos because things have been pretty close to the chest. Normally, there's some rumors leaking where it seems like, oh, well, this feels inevitable. This feels like Thanos. I am inevitable. Right. But then Jed Hoyer is like, I'm Jed Hoyer and you're not going to know any of my information. I just watched Avengers Endgame the other day for the first time, in like a couple months, because I feel like that's a movie you got to watch every few months. I don't know. I'm a big Marvel fan. That movie's phenomenal. So, I, so I'm, it's you're going to hear some Avengers references. I feel like in this podcast, fair warning. But what I mean by that is nobody knew where, that Jack Peterson was going to Atlanta, and then it was just announced. The Chafin deal we found out, but there wasn't like days of speculation. Everyone was like, Andrew Chafin at Oakland A seems imminent. It's going to happen any second now. And then after the game, done deal. So it was pretty quick, and th- you know there wasn't a whole lot of Oakland rumors about Chafin. He was rumored, they were rumored about Kimbrell and some other pieces, but I feel like all of the trade speculation that's happening right now is just writers taking a guess. It's kind of like what I did about maybe a few weeks ago. I think toward the end of the 11 game losing streak, I started to, for fun, because man, that was a miserable time as a fan, wasn't it? I started thinking to myself, okay, who needs what of the contenders? And and I'm going to, I'm going to claim it. The Lockdown Cubs podcast was the first one to mention Anthony Rizzo as a trade target for the Red Sox. Because at the time I said it, there was nothing out there speculating that Rizzo could be going to Boston. I looked at their roster and I thought, wow, they've get, they get nothing out of first base. And they, and they don't. They have the lowest production out of first base in the American League, the Boston Red Sox. Anthony Rizzo is a left-handed bat, has a ton of playoff experience, veteran presence, could fit in with any clubhouse. He's heating up right now, plays gold glove first base, so he only helps your infield defense that much more, which, again, defense is huge come playoff time. Any little air, you're just like, oh, no. That is the worst feeling, and being a fan of watching playoff baseball. And this is going to be the first year. I mean, 
This is the first year since 2014 where September feels meaningless. And at least in September 2014, you were like, oh, we're going to spend for sure this offseason. You just knew it. Where this offseason, we still don't know. Now, I, of course, over and over again have been, you know, ringing the bell of spend money, spend. You have the money, spend it. And the fact that after a few of these trades are done, the Cubs are going to have a top 10 farm system going into 2022 and rising. Top 10 and rising. Because I really like this draft class they just had. And a lot of our best players are at the lower levels. They're going to be popping up even furthermore. Two of the guys they got in that U Darvish trade will be top 100 prospects at the start of the 2022 season. And you have all the money in the world coming off the books. It's still, it will be, if the Cubs don't spend in 2022, it's 100% ownership trying to recoup costs of them going over budget on all of the renovation work around the stadium. Cause that, that was well-documented. This isn't speculation. Tom Ricketts himself said they went way over budget, but then in the next sentence, tried to claim, well, that didn't affect the baseball side. The baseball side's its own thing and the budget for everything. Come on. I refuse to believe that. And then they, you know, going way over budget, like I mentioned before, and then not being able to sell tickets during a pandemic. So if they don't spend money in this upcoming off season, they're going to try to sell it to the fans. Like, well, we're not ready for free agency yet. You know, we got a lot of young players who are coming. It's not going to be a rebuild like last time. You're going to hear that over and over. It's not going to, this is in 2012 to 2014, where we're going to lose almost a hundred games, three seasons in a row. This is completely different. We've got some young pieces coming up quickly. Pitching, you know, they're going to sell us on all that. My thing is this. I'm not saying this offseason they have to get it all back. Because like I've reiterated over and over again, and I feel like it's a, a fair thing to bring up yet again. Sorry, listeners, if I'm getting old with this. You don't have to get it all back in one offseason. If you go into 2022 as a contender for the division, because I'm looking at a lot of teams adding right now who aren't in that much better spot than the Cubs. The Reds are, what, two games up on the Cubs? maybe three games now after that loss last night, and they're adding. I'm saying if the Cubs go into 2022, you make you sign a few guys in free agency. You have it where you're competitive, and you're looking at your roster honestly, and you're like, you know what? We are one really good player away. Then you make the trade for that player. You know, like a lot of teams do this. The Cubs always went into previous off seasons with a pretty set tight roster where you didn't really know where the trade was going to add unless there was an injury. You know, we had Daniel Murphy that one year in 2018 because Edison Russell was hurt, then bad, then a horrible person. And then, you know, Castellanos was added because at that point we were just like, we're going to move, we were getting nothing out of center field. So you're like, we're just going to move Hayward over to center field. So you're either going to have poor production or an injury. Now, with other teams, you go into it thinking, all right, we got someone cheap to fill that need, and if they don't pan out, then we have someone take over that spot, which I think is the smarter play, and I'm hoping the Cubs do something like that. I understood in the past why they didn't necessarily do it. It's interesting right now. you know. Um, so again, as of right now, this again, this podcast is coming out later than usual. I try to have them out for your morning commute, but I was at the Cubs game last night for my sister's birthday. I stay to the bitter end. That's how I am as a fan. I think the only time it's okay to leave a game early as a fan, if you got little kids, obviously that's different. But as a fan, if you're going with some friends, if your team is up by a ton, that's the only time it's okay. If the Cubs are up like nine to one in the eighth inning 
and you're kind of thinking, you know what? I, it's getting a little late. I wouldn't mind hitting the bar right now. I'm getting a little hungry. Let's get out. You know, they're not serving alcohol anymore at Wrigley after the seventh. Go across the street before the rush. Get a table. That makes sense. But I, I think if the team's losing and you're like this, I can't even watch this anymore. I don't like that. I, that's just me personally. Again, you know, you don't have to be a fan the way I'm a fan. That'd be ridiculous. If all fans were the same, it wouldn't even be fun. It'd be a bunch of robots. You know, it's kind of, it's fun to have a little different point of view, but I like to stay to the bitter end and a game was long. It started at 7.05 and I'm, I'm looking at my, my phone. I'm like, it's 10.40. You know, maybe they do need to add a pitch clock and some other things. There, there needs to be a little bit of something different. And I know a lot of traditionalists and purists will say, no, no, that's not baseball. We don't have a shot clock. I'm like, I'm not saying a shot clock. The difference is this, though. Back in the day, these players just didn't do this. So if you're a traditionalist where you don't want baseball to change at all, you have to understand they didn't need the rules back then because players didn't step out of the batter's box after every pitch. You know, after every pitch, they're stepping out of the batter's box, taking practice swings, looking around. It's the only sport with unlimited timeouts. I mean, they, I mean, they did make that mound rule change. We can only visit the mound so many times. But think about it, as a batter, you stepping out is a timeout every time. Pitchers could do it. after every pitch. They could walk around the mound. I just don't understand that. Wouldn't it be better to get into a rhythm? I always like when I, used to, I you know, I never pitch any kind of high level at all, right? But I'm talking like grade school, high school. I like pitching fast. I like getting it. Give me the ball so I can get it right back to you. Get that rhythm. I had a coach who it was some of the best advice I was given because so much of sports, especially baseball, baseball more so than any other sport, golf too, I suppose, very mental, very mental where you have to be, have the right headspace going in, especially as a pitcher. You know, it's a rhythm thing. He said, you have a favorite song? I'm like, yep, of course. Of course I have a favorite song. What idiotic question is that? Whatever your favorite song is, play it in your head. Try to try to get in rhythm with the song where you pitch. Like, All right, because I was struggling. I think this was eighth grade. I go on the mound. I ended up, first of all, my the, this is a Porridge Park, great park in northwest side of Chicago. The uh, real mistake, though, because they didn't have like, they had a weird pitch thing where it's like you could throw seven innings, but that was it for the week. And you played like two or three games of the week, but you could go all seven at once. I don't think that that was good for arms. I don't hear of any parks doing that anymore. But yeah, I remember throwing the seven inning. I threw a complete game. I think maybe I gave up one earned, but I think we, we killed them. We won like 10 to one, but it was a complete game. I threw uh, 13 Ks. Had like one walk. I was on. Was throwing curveballs. I shouldn't have been throwing curveballs that late. And then in high school, I developed a slider. That was a l- little bit better. It was a nice little slide piece, you know. RockAuto.com. This episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. So I endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry. Come on, I'm not buying it. We've got computers at home, everyone. So here's what you want to do. You want to go to rockauto.com, right? Rock Auto is a family business serving do-it-yourselfers like you for over 20 years. Rock Auto prices are reliably low for every customer, and they have everything you need. Brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil. They probably got those cool mud flaps with like different designs on them. You know what I'm talking about, right? So go to rockauto.com, explore all you need. It's very easy to navigate website. And when you go there, make sure you write locked on in the how did you hear about us box. They know we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car or truck will ever need. Rockauto.com. So the Cubs did lose last night, 8-2 to to the Cincinnati Reds. 
Zach Davies took the bump, and a lot of fans in the stands and across the Cubs verse were thinking, all right, is Zach Davies going to make this start? This will be his last start before the trade deadline. Is there a chance he gets pulled last second? The Cubs had called up AAA pitcher Corey Abbott from Iowa as like kind of be on standby. They probably said, yo, Corey, if we, if we pull a trigger on a Davies deal, you better get out there. We're going to need you, kid. And uh, Corey, well, he ended up pitching an inning in relief. But Zach Davies made the start. Uh, kind of surprised. And the more I look at Zach Davies' numbers, the more I'm like, what team is really interested in him? Maybe a team that's battling for a wild card where they're like, oh, we don't have to give the Cubs much for this. Because Zach Davies, you're not going to do a qualifying offer for, so you're not getting a compensation pick for him. So it's kind of like one of those things where you were hoping he would have had a really nice start yesterday against a pretty solid Reds lineup, even without Castellanos. They got some hitters. Not really the case, though. Six innings pitched, seven hits, four runs, four earned, four walks. The eight strikeouts was nice enough, but his walks have really hurt his value this season. And I think a guy who had been known for having pinpoint control throughout his career, walking as many hitters as he has as a member of Chicago Cubs, makes me think it's that pending free agency that's gotten his head. Because I remember after one game where he actually pitched a solid game in the post-game press conference, you know, it was like maybe it was maybe the week before he had a nice couple, he had like three or four starts that were pretty solid there, culminating with the combined no hitter. But before that, he mentioned. Maybe it was after the combined no-hitter. He said, I don't want to give in to hitters. I don't mind walking some guys. Problem is when you walk those guys and then you give up bomb shots to hitters, it's you know it's going to catch up to you. Granted, you only gave up one home run, and that was to Joey Votto, who might be the hottest hitter on the planet right now. Votto was absolutely tearing it up. Manager David Ross took notice of that, mentioning that Joey Votto is now standing more upright in his stance. He's not crouched as much. And I noticed that too. Votto seems to be standing a little bit taller. And look, I have no uh, hate towards Joey Votto. I've always been a fan of Joey Votto. Uh, There's some speculation that maybe he gestured toward the Cubs dug after one of the home runs. I didn't see it. And Davies said after the game, he goes, look, it's on me for giving up the home run. But if he's going personal with it, I think that's the whole thing. Javi Baez, everyone, is getting fined, not suspended, thankfully, for his part in the Amir Garrett showdown. You know, he had the walk-off, and he did that, like, sweep motion with the bat. I thought it was like a row, row, row your boat thing. And, he, you know, he's talking trash when he's in the batter's box. He was up the line talking trash, chucked the bat, you know. I thought it's all in good fun because Amir Garrett would be doing the same thing if he had struck out Javi in that situation. Amir Garrett has been the instigator throughout the course of all of this. He got into it with Schwarber. He's got into it with Javi before Rizzo. Javi came to Rizzo's defense the last time. This happens. And the, and Javi's thing in the past was, if you want to show up a home run, you want to do a bad flip, celebrate, you gesture towards your teammates because it's about, hey, I'm pumped up for us. You don't gesture towards the guy you just hit the home run off of. That's a little classless. And to that, I agree. I agree. I'm a fan of bat flips. I'm a fan of pitchers doing like what they call a case drive. You strike the guy out, you kind of like strut off the mound a little bit. You walk with a little bit of swagger. I'm, I think it's all fun. Anything that creates like a, a high energy atmosphere, I'm all about it. Because we all know baseball has stretches, like I said, where it could be a little tedious. Look, I, I love the game, everybody, but there, I, I can't blame. The world has changed. Our attention spans have changed. So any attempt to make the game move a little bit quicker with a little bit more action, I'm all about it. All right. So it's one of those things where with the Amir Garrett thing and with Vado, Vado said afterwards he wasn't gesturing. So, so I believe him. There's no reason not to. I think Joey Vado has always been a real class player. He's a great hitter. So I've never, you know, there's been other big hitters in the NL Central, like your Ryan Bronze and your, your, 
you know, when uh, the Cardinals had Matt Holiday, although he was never really a bad guy either. But, you know, there's always some guys that as you see a lot that you're like, I can't root for this guy. The two players in the NL Central over the last decade-ish have been McCutcheon and Votto, who have always been two players that I'm like, I can't root against these guys. I don't root for them. When the, when the Cubs face them, I hope they go over the series. But I'm not, like, anti these guys. Cool Joey Votto story once. He was, uh, you know, walking off the field, or maybe it was before the game. Some kid in the front row was asking him for a ball. Hey, can I please get the ball? And he goes, sorry, kid, you're already in the front row. You don't need this ball. And then he chucked the ball, like, kind of, like, way deeper into the stands to someone who's probably not as good as seats. I kind of thought that was pretty cool. He wasn't, like, mean to the kid. He was just like, kid, you're, you're front row, all right? You're doing pretty good. You're not gonna, This ball's not going to mean as much to you. And and that that is funny. I, I've joked about this before about the idea of who to give a foul ball to. And that's a thing too, that I don't like it when announcers on TV were like, give it to a kid. How do you know that the guy who caught the foul ball isn't going to go home that night and wake up his four-year-old son and say, hey, look what I got the game for you. You know, this idea that we catch something in the closest child nearby, they get it. You know, there are a lot of adults who dreamed of catching a foul ball when they were children, didn't. They finally get one now as as a, yeah, they're an adult and maybe it's not as thrilling to them as it once was, but it's still one of those things where it's like, oh, this is something I wanted my whole life. I can't just give it to you, right? Make them earn it. Earn that foul ball, young child. You got to understand that there's no giveaways here. You appreciate something more when you get it for yourself. And this idea that give a kid a foul ball, you make a fan for life. I, I 100% would put good money on it that there is someone out there who's like, oh, yeah, I got a ball at a game when I was like nine. Oh, do you like baseball? No, can't stand it. This idea that there's, there's some eight-year-old kid who got a, a who's sitting in front row, gets a baseball, and all of a sudden he's just dedicated for the rest of his life. You, you, you serious? Do you know how children work? Probably forgot about it a week later. Probably used it. And now he's not a fan anymore. This It's not an automatic thing. I, I'm, sure, I'm sure most of the people who get one are probably thinking, what a cherished thing. But I doubt that they're, you know, here they are 30 years later in their life and they're still keeping score at the game. I don't think that's the case. The game, it was nice. Wrigley has a great night game atmosphere. There really is something about that ballpark. I was with uh, my sister and brother and my sister's friends, and it, it was a fun time. I had a fun time. It wasn't as lively because the Cubs weren't doing anything offensively. Uh, they ended up having eight hits, but before the ninth, they'd only had five hits. Nico had two hits. Nico Horner and Patrick Wisdom had a couple. Wisdom's been looking really good at the plate. I complimented him the other day. And yeah, he just looks like he's adjusted again. I love I love to see that out of a young hitter because, you know, every now and then a guy goes on a hot streak and you're like, is this for real? Is this really for real? He's a 29-year-old rookie. Is he, he finally figured it out or is he just hot for a month and then pitching's going to figure him out? Well, pitching did figure him out, but then he figured them out again, and he's been wonderful, and you might as well see what you got in him. He needs to be in the starting lineup every day, the rest of the season. Make it happen. Nico Horner was taken out with like an oblique thing, hoping it's not serious because he looked good at the play too. Chris Bryant then took over and played shortstop the last two innings, and I thought that was kind of fun. We're down by a lot. He hasn't played shortstop yet this season, I don't believe. Hey, KB, why don't you go to shortstop? Maybe it's David Ross uh, trying to tell ownership, look how valuable this guy is. And he turned a double play. I mean, it's I'm really going to be heartbroken. I, I think a lot of us are going to be if he's traded. But it would be sweet if they sign him in the offseason, though. I really think that'd be really cool. You get some prospects back, and then you go out and pick them up again. 
And they kind of like a little bit of a arrogance to it. It's like, well, yeah, we're the Cubs. We do smart things like that. That'd be amazing. That would really announce that we're back. And again, to a lot of fans out there, the, the rumors that he wants 300 million and he's never going to sign with us because he's still mad about the grievance. And, you know, none of that's true. Chris Bryant, out of his own mouth, is reiterated over and over and over again that the player grievance thing and holding him back those first 12 days of the 2015 season is not made him not want to be here. He's loved being a fan here, uh, a player here. He loves the fans. He loves the city. He loves the organization. He's had his gripes with fans on Twitter, and I can't blame him for that. And that's the thing I try to warn some people with when you get personal on Twitter with being upset with people or trying to label someone a certain way and, and being wrong and the misinformation that gets put out there. It's, and I know a lot, I think a lot of fans are just like, well, these players shouldn't even be reading Twitter. Yeah, and I, ideally, but then again, They've, they've come up in the social media world. Every young new athlete, they've only known a world of social media. That's, it, it's, that's the way it is. Well, you know, I'm in my mid-30s. I remember a time before social media. They don't. You think some 22-year-old rookie is like longing for the days before? It, it, there's just, it's all he knows. It's like a fish only knows water. So for them to, and I know they're told, just stay off of it. There's nothing to be gained. And they try. I think a lot of them eventually do, and some are better at it than others. But they hear, they hear the grumblings. They know what's what. Chris Bryant's thinking to himself, why did all of a sudden the fan base turn on me? I remember it was after the 2018 season. People started saying, we should just trade him. And they go, well, you're going to trade him with low value. He was hurt in 2018. And then they, they started saying he wasn't clutch. He, did, he had a year, he had a season where he was a little bit unclutch. But the whole notion of clutch gets a little bit... Over the course of a player's career, their numbers typically match. Meaning, if a guy's a career 285 hitter, he's probably hit 285 with nobody on base. He's probably hitting around 285 with people on base. That's just, it's sample size. I've seen players have a year where it's like, Mike, that was the most clutch season I've ever seen. Ramos Ramirez had that one year where he had like three walk-off home runs and it felt like every hit was a big hit. The next year, nothing. Did he forget how to be clutch? You know, I think people choke more than their clutch. Um, you know, it, and it depends on playoff performance. Some people do rise to the occasion. Don't get me wrong. But the idea that someone can be clutch one season and not clutch another season, and then it goes back and forth. But I, the, some of the online hate towards Chris Bryant is people falling for a media narrative, the media narrative of he doesn't want to be here. He's a Boris Klein. He was never going to resign. He wants over $300 million. I don't think that at all. I mentioned the, on the podcast yesterday. I think you could get him at $200 million. Eight years, $200 million, That's $25 million per. That's only $6 million more than he's making right now. So that doesn't break the bank. Hayward's contract's coming off in two seasons. And like I said before, there's nothing. There's no big contract. Hayward's the only big contract. It's Hayward at $23 million, Kyle Hendricks at $14 million, and David Bodie at like $3 million. Those are the three guaranteed locked-in contracts for the 2022 season. Now, obviously, we have control over a lot of players, and there'll be some arbitration raises. But even with all that, that still probably brings you up to about 65, 70 million is my guess. I could be off on that number. The highest I've seen is projected is 80 million. So say with all the arbitration raises, you're at 80 million. If the Cubs go back to the 2019 spending or 2020 even, or what the payroll should have been going into 2020, the the, the luxury tax is at 212. So say they even go up to 200 million where they should be. They should be up even higher if you ask me. But say they just decide to go up to 200 million in 2022. That means they got $120 million to spend on free agency. That is enough money with a rising farm to do damage and to be back to be in the powerhouse that the Cubs should be. 
Bet online, everybody. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing, and you can track all the action at Bet Online. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and all your UFC, MMA action. So before the next pitch, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign up bonuses, and contest info. So don't send the sidelines anymore. This is your chance to get into the game as your team's prep for the playoffs. That is not us Cub fans. That's such a bummer. So head to the website or use your phone to sign up today. And get this, everyone. You will receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Damn, that's sweet. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Promo code locked on. Well, I'm going to the Cubs game again. Hopefully you're listening to this around noon. I will be on my way. Uh, this could be the last game for Chris Bryant, Javi Baez, Anthony Rizzo, Kimbrell, Davies, Ryan Tapera. Who really knows? You know, uh, I didn't finish my thought on Davies. His ERA is like 4.3. Back when there was the August waiver wire, I would have pegged Davies as being that type of guy. You know, like mid-August, another team has a pitcher go down or they think, oh, we need some innings eaters. No, no, no one. He's not a guy that any team is thinking, oh, this is the guy that put us over the top. You know, the Dodgers and Padres are in need of pitching. They're probably going to battle out for Max Scherzer. Davies is not even in that category, of course. Shouldn't even be saying his name in the same sentence. No offense, Zach. But for a team like, you know, but there's no more waiver uh, deal. They they ended that. So July 30th, that's it. So if if the Cubs don't trade any of the big three, they're on. They're keeping around for the rest of the season and then hoping to get a compensation pick or working on extensions. So it will be interesting to see. I thought to myself, maybe I'll share some of my favorite moments at the trade deadline. You know, obviously Nick Cassiano's turned out to be one of the best trades for a short-term player. Chapman, obviously they don't do what they, you know, a lot of people were like, well, I don't know. No, they don't. They don't win the World Series without Chapman. That's just a fact. And there's been some other fun moves. Uh, Cole Hamels was a really good one. I'm just thinking of recent. But throughout my entire life, Kenny Lofton, and Aramis Ramirez came over in July in 2003. That was the most impactful trade because we won the division and we only won 88 games to win the division that year in 2003. It was kind of a not the strongest NL Central team. And to come to think of it, there weren't a lot of teams that won in the high 90s overall that season. Marlins ended up winning the World Series that year and they were a wild card team. So I believe they won. No, they actually were a wild card team, but they won one more game than the Cubs because I think the NL East was pretty tough that year. Because we faced Atlanta in the first round, and Atlanta had a home field, and uh, yeah, they were so they would have been like a one seed. And this was before they did the one game wild card tiebreaker thing. So the four playoff teams that year, I remember, were the Braves, the one, the Giants, the two, the Cubs were the three, and the Marlins were the four. But really, the Marlins were the four because because they were the wild card. They really had the third best record, and the Cubs had the fourth best record of the playoff teams. The Marlins upset the Giants, and they came. And, of course, we all know the Bartman thing and all that stuff. Uh, speaking of the August waiver wire, though, a lot of Cubs fans, older ones, will think, oh, I remember, wasn't Randall Simon part of the Pirates deal? No, we Randall Simon was a Pirate, but we got him in the August waiver deal. Uh, another August waiver player that we acquired that season was Doug Glanville, who does a lot of postgame stuff for the Cubs. Now, uh, other August deals that I could recall that were big for the Cubs at the time, well, Daniel Murphy was an August player they acquired. And he helped a bit in 2018. But my number one favorite trade, and always will be, would be in 2004. The trade itself worked out enough because he did hit toward the end of that season. I think he hit like about 290 for us. 
and was uh, a jolt, really helped the offense. But unfortunately, our bullpen was atrocious by the end of the year. And Dusty Baker was our manager. This is the 2004 season. And the player I'm talking about was Nomar Garcia-Para. Now, that we didn't make the playoffs that year, even though we won one more game than when we did when we won the division in 2003. And we had a wild card spot locked in. And Dusty Baker just kept putting Latroy Hawkins out there. Latroy Hawkins was signed as a setup man because he was fantastic as a setup man the previous seasons with the Minnesota Twins. So he was like the most highly sought after setup man in the offseason going into the 2004 season. So when the Cubs signed him, I was ecstatic. He even said in a press conference once or like in you know an interview saying, I don't really like closing. And then Borowski has trouble. I think he gets injured. Baker puts him as the closer, even though he didn't like it. And he wasn't good at it. He blew three saves. They blew like three saves in a row in the final week of the season. And I believe the Mets overtook us to win the wild card that year. It was just really bad. That was just, that, that was horrible. Some really bad managing. I know Dusty Baker was popular with a lot of players. And I've met people who swear by him. And I think, I think people like him because it's like a boss that lets you do whatever you want. Whenever people say, oh, he's a player's manager, sometimes that can be taken in a way where I think, oh, he just lets you do whatever you want and goes easy on you and there's no accountability. And and even though I think some of the rah-rah stuff that managers do, you know, the Lou Pinnell, get in their face, like, ah, that's a little overrated. Not only because t- t- today's modern, the modern player knows that it's, it's all shtick at that point. I'm going to have you running laps, son. Like that old like high school football coach mentality. It's like, okay, I'll, I'll go run the laps. All right, tough guy. Because they're like the professional athletes. They're no longer scared of their coach anymore. So that stuff doesn't really work out at a certain point, I believe. You like those guys to get umpire spaces, though, because it shows they care. And that does, I think, spark an atmosphere of like, all right, well, let's have some passion while we play. When we when we traded for Nomar Garcia Parra, though, who traded him, by the way? Do you guys forget? Theo Epstein. It was his second season as the GM of the Boston Red Sox in 2004. He was like 28 years old. He made the trade, and it was a three-way deal in which the Red Sox got Orlando Cabrera, who was a much, much better defensive shortstop than Nomar. Now, Nomar was the type of guy who hit for a high average. He won a couple batting titles, hit 370 one year. Didn't really draw a lot of walks, though. Swung early in the count. Wasn't a grinder. So maybe Boston thought, ah, we might need a guy like Cabrera. He fits the rest of the team better. The rest of the team, Manny, Ortiz, Kevin Millar, they took a lot of pitches. Jason Veritek, Johnny Damon. That was kind of like their thing. And not that Nomar didn't fit, fit because I'm sure, he, you know, it's Nomar Garcia Parr. He was an elite player at the time, although he's coming off of an injury. So that helped lower his value. But it was what we needed and it was what the Red Sox needed because they ended up winning the World Series there. Cabrera was key. His defense was key. And it was, it was a better decision. But think about that. You trade a popular player because Nomar Garcia Parra he was like Boston royalty for a while. They loved him. His first name fit the, the accent of that town. Noma. We got Noma, kid. Noma's wicked hard core. Like, you know, that was like their thing. I am not a cop. That's like my departed accent I can do. And they loved him, right? So for, for that move, it just showed you, man. He just knew what he was doing. Theo just came along like, trust me on this one. You won't care when we win. And he was right. The guy was right. Talk about that, you know. Still, never forget that speech he made when uh, his opening press conference when he became the Cubs president of baseball operations. He said, we will win a World Series. He had a five-year contract he signed. Year five, win a World Series. Absolute legend. Absolute legend. All right, Cubs fans, we'll keep it interesting. Make sure you follow on Twitter at Lockdown Cubs because I will let you know if I'm going live. I might be doing a, 
a Spotify green room to talk about the deals and all that other kind of stuff. I'll be at the ballpark at Wrigley Field. I think I'm going to wear my Kilgallen jersey. So if you see it, feel free to say what's up and all that good stuff. All right, let's uh, let's try to enjoy this next 24 hours or so. As always, go Cubs. Locked on bets, everybody. Betting on the NBA, MLB, or NFL doesn't have to be a guessing game if you listen to the new Locked on Bets podcast hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling. Get daily picks, blowout specials, wrong team favored picks, and Lee Sterling's lock of the day. Follow the Locked on Bets podcast brought to you by betonline.ag wherever you get your podcasts.